Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? The sounds won't stop. The whole sounds of the city. I'm not familiar with that Nine Inch Nails lyric. Let me let me tell you how getting old changes things. <laughs> if I were ten years younger, you know what would have happened? I'd be like, you know what? Let's record at three in the morning. That's when the sound is best. Right now, I'm like, I don't know. It's seven o'clock. Is is it going to get much quieter than this? Not really. Right. So here we are. Here we are. It's double feature. I'm double feature. Thank you. Um, I'm Eric. I'm here with Michael. Michael is still putting up with me here I, on double uh, feature. I've become very obsessed with this, like this, like sort of like trend uh, exploration of main character syndrome and like real world NPCs. Are you familiar with this whole nonsense? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I again, New York City, right? right? So I walk around hearing the dialogue, the New York specific dialogue. It's like you're playing a Spider-Man game. It's amazing. Yeah. So uh, it's weird to come on the show um, because all of you listening, and thank you for listening, but all of you listening just assume that for the last six hours or six days and 23 hours, you and I were just cryo-frozen and then have now thought out for another show. We would make some pretty good NPCs, though, because we have at least 45 minutes of dialogue written for our characters. So I mean, I think good. I definitely feel like um, I would I would almost, instead of be... Instead of being so, if you think back to like these video games where you have like a car radio and there's like a talk show, sometimes the talk show is like more entertaining than that main character ever is. I would much rather be the talk show NPC uh, than than a real person most of the time. All right, Laszlo, let's get back to this fucking double feature before people chuck their zunes out their windows. Oh shit! I didn't say the movie. We're doing hardcore from 1979. And we're doing Dogs Don't Wear Pants from like two years ago. Yeah, you got to say the year on Dogs Don't Wear Pants. You don't want people to watch the wrong one. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> I, um, I up until, up until the movie started, thought we were watching Hardware. Uh, oh, yeah. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, cool. We're watching like some weird robot movie and then some weird Hardware Dogs Don't and, Wear Pants yeah. movie. <laughs> um, but it turns out that uh, you, had a really good, you had a really good theme here. Um, this, was a, this was an Eric pick because I hadn't seen either of these movies. Yeah, so the idea is kind of like adventurous sex breaks apart some relationships and brings others together. And obviously the kind of relationships change. I almost wanted to say some families, but I I think that's a little too specific. But I'm definitely going to stick with adventurous sex because that was also kind of hard to pin down. I wanted to say extreme sex, and I don't think this is really extreme sex. I mean, it's hard to watch a movie from 1979 that discusses sex in any way and says say it's extreme. It just can't. Yes. You, you can't approach that. Although in another way, movies from 1979, man, I mean, they feel like they are all in a more liberated time to Dude, it's, speak openly sexually about something in a movie. 
it's kind of like when you see like video footage of like Afghanistan or Iraq before the Muslim revolution. And it's just like women in bikinis on the beach. And you're like, wait, why was that the past? And why is today backwards? That's so specific. I don't know if I should edit it out of the show. I just, I can't. I'm not going to fact check whatever the fuck that was, but I'm too ignorant of other places to make comment. Um, Yeah, but hardcore is a, you know, it's a shock to the system. And I think um, dogs don't wear pants. I mean, it is a whole other thing. Before we get into these movies, I have a theory. Not everyone agrees with this, but I'm going to share this with you. I think that... We talk about a lot of movies. I think movies should represent all facets of life. Every part of the human experience. Anything that can be experienced on earth, we should write about it. We should write fucking poems. We should make plays that nobody sees off Broadway. And we should make movies about it. And that includes sex. Not everyone agrees with this opinion, but I think most of the people who have signed up to listen to Hardcore and Dogs Don't Wear Pants, the podcast are probably of a a pretty similar persuasion. So if this is something that you listening agree with, then this show is very much a home for you. We, uh, you know, you and I have never shied away from covering a film because it's about something too crazy. In fact, that's usually what draws us to films. And that's not for everybody, but uh, I think it's for people who listen to the show. So if you're listening... If you agree, we have a Patreon. It keeps the show going. It's patreon.com forward slash double feature. You can go on there and I promise you we will continue programming weirder and weirder episodes. That is just the nature of who we are. Right. I hope we have one. Well, also, also you know what the last show of the year is. So I do. <laughs> it's perhaps too weird even for me, <laughs> but that's about the right temperature for the last uh, show of the year. And hopefully we'll get there. But we have had a a lot of Patreons going along the way, and that helps both for funding the show, but it also kind of reassures me. I don't know, man. I get in these positions where I'm like, am I fucking nuts for wanting to see a a movie like Dogs Don't Wear Pants? Is that crazy? Is this just something nobody is asking for? And when I go to a movie, especially when I go in the real world to this, but when I see other people talking about this, when I see a podcast about something uh, that I like or find something weird from another podcast. That is so exciting to me because I'm suddenly like, oh yeah, people aren't this like weird homogenized voice, this this imaginary voice you kind of hear online. People like to fuck around with weird things. Mm-hmm. So dear audience, we hope that you do as well. Otherwise, why the fuck are you listening to this show? I don't know. Patreon.com forward slash double feature. I fully agree because I'm sitting here watching these movies going, oh yeah, another couple movies like this as if I have a back <laughs> yeah, catalog. Right, right. I, I have a very strong frame of reference for both of these movies. You know what's interesting about uh, hardcore um, mm. among a myriad of things is, and this is weird, maybe I'm wrong or maybe you're about to tell me it's like, same director, you fucking idiot. But like <laughs> of of all the things that this movie reminds me of, one of the things it reminds me the most of is fucking bullet. And I can only attribute that to the fact that it's set here in San Francisco. 
And I don't know why I don't, I'm it's not like it's, it's explicitly very San Francisco. Well, it's funny because you're all over California in that movie, yeah. right? It's also where I used to live, the fucking San Fernando Valley, right? Yeah. So yeah, it is, uh, this is Paul Schrader, who is a name that maybe people don't know, but you know his movie. He wrote Taxi Driver. He wrote Raging Bull. He did First Reformed. He did do First. That's right. He directed that, which is a fucking <laughs> mindfuck of a film, First Reformed. So yeah, you'll notice a lot of the sim. Have you seen Card Counter yet? The new one? No. New. I say new. It's like two years is that, old. That's him? Point or something. Yeah, that's oh him God, as well. This guy's out here making movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've, we've done a bunch of, you know, we did um, Patty Hearst, and, uh, another film that is newly uh, near and dear to my heart. Bringing Out the Dead, Autofocus was uh, another one he did. So we see a lot of, I mean, I can't watch a Paul Schrader film now and not just start picking and choosing from other, you know, other of his movies. Sure. He is one of the writers that, and and especially, I want to say now that he's directing, but we're doing a movie he directed in 79. So it's always been there. There's these guys... Um, when we did uh what's his name when remember we did the um the writer versus cinematographer and i'm drawing a blank on the writer oh yeah yeah, yeah. it was uh deacons and mamet mamet uh and david mamet is another person who's like kind of a writer but ends up directing as well uh taylor sheridan mm-hmm. has now started directing also i feel like you know that's a whole separate exploration uh from that journey from a few years ago um, but I feel like writers um, writers end up in the director's chair probably more often than cinematographers, although I do know that it, it is it's both ways. Yeah, well, Paul Schrader, I mean, and this is true too of, of a lot of the writers turned directors, is uh, sometimes you get hits, sometimes you get misses, mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you see them taking a swing early. That's kind of like nobody fucking directs my movies right. That's sort of the the narrative, right? And so I, I have to come in and direct this movie so the story's done justice. Sometimes this works and sometimes it doesn't. But the Paul Schrader movies, there are consistent threads through everything, whether he's writing or directing or both, that... um regardless of whatever else happens in the film, or even if I enjoy it, the themes are close to my heart. One of the things I love is that he explores these subcultures, these kind of uh, like just taking us down paths or occupations that I don't know anything about or worlds I'm not a part of. And with hardcore, the tagline of this movie is what hooked me. The poster is just our guy, uh, George C. Scott's character with his hands over his head in agony, big black box with a quote on it. Oh my God, that's my daughter. And that's the whole fuck edit. I've just, you know, how do you quicker sell a movie to the, you right. just kind of know what you're watching, but you're also like, can, sure. can the image that I've created in my head really be this, this fucking world? Mm-hmm. So, the um, you know the log line is is kind of like who's our players? We got this guy. He's a, a midwestern sort of um, 
You know what's funny is I don't know if we ever know his true occupation, but at some point he says he like makes rivets or something, and in my head yeah. that's just kind of what yeah. stuck. Yeah. So he's like a a sort of blue collar or a business guy who lives in Michigan. He's, I feel like he's at the white collar level of a blue collar business. Yeah, totally, totally. And he has to enter into this kind of like seedy underbelly of the world of pornography because his daughter's gone missing and appears um, and he finds her in a porno. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing a log line very well to unravel the mystery here. I, I don't know. Let's try this again. When George C. Scott's character, also not good for your log line when you don't fucking know the name of the characters. When Jake's daughter goes missing, a mysterious porno film forces him to explore the seedy underbelly of, right. I don't know, right. whatever, we got close enough. It sounds kind of like just a, like a ring sequel, but okay. <laughs> it's, yeah, as soon as I said mysterious videotape, I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> One of those, well, I love what they say about the eight millimeter film where it's just kind of like um, uh, nobody made it, nobody shows it, nobody's seen it. A lot of good, just little pithy dialogue pieces. So he's sort of, I don't think reluctant is the word, reluctant to explore, because that sounds a little too like, oh, I've been given the one ring and I don't want to do this, but the old wizard guy, he's so tall and he told me I have to. And I don't think unwilling is the word, but, or even begrudging, but it's sort of like, okay, when, if you can think of something personally that you don't want to do, and, uh, and it would be kind of like, kind of gross, kind of icky. Uh, it's something that you're just generally sort of turned off by or maybe you have a fear of it. And instead of, oh, you might have to dabble in that to solve this mystery, it's literally like you have to dive headfirst into this. It has to become your entire fucking life, this thing you don't like, in order to get to the bottom of what the fuck's going on. So we see him kind of like detest California in the beginning of the movie, which is really funny. And he is basically going to become one of these California people if he has any hope of getting his daughter back. There, there's kind of the, yeah. I feel like there's some more thematic logline stuff coming up, right? Yeah. And so the, the how of this movie is one of the things that interests me because of the time that it comes out. There is, um, today there is this kind of mandate to completely mimic reality at all times. And we didn't have that in 1979. So, you know, you find things in the story that, so the way he gets this tape, right? He hires a private eye and the private eye goes, hey, have you heard of hardcore? And so that's a kind of an odd way to introduce it. And then he's sort of like, follow me. You know, there's uh, they show uh, hardcore all over the place now, even in Michigan, even on this very street. In fact, at the end of this street, there's a porno theater. Uh, you and me are going to go to that theater. We're going to watch some hardcore and he's just sort of like, um, yeah, yeah, okay. I yeah, guess this I mean, is all for, making for sense research. To me. This is this is back to what you and I were talking about with uh, <laughs> with the fucking exploitation <laughs> stuff. They're like, yeah, no, let's go. We have to. We're gonna go watch some hardcore in in the interest of of research and 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 yeah. understanding these people. Yeah, I I need you to um, to meet my private eye colleague Doris Wishman she's been in the business for a long time she knows a lot about this so we go to to watch this 
And this is such a, this says a lot about this era to me. You get this scene, which is like one of the fucking scenes of the movie. It's the picture that's on the poster with the agony. It's the thing that a lot of people know from this. If you ask old people who maybe remember seeing this, um, I'm sorry if you saw Hardcore in a theater and I just pointed out that you're old, but it is from 1979. They'll start quoting this fucking scene. But the guy is like, oh, I got this, uh, the theater's closed, but they gave it to me for an hour. Already pretty fucking shady thing to say. Mm -hmm. He goes in the projection booth, because of course the private eye also knows how to run a projector. I don't know, fine. And although, again, back in those days, maybe you had one in your living room, who knows. And then proceeds to show him his daughter's porno. And we get this scene that is just, he can't believe it, but must keep watching because mm-hmm. it's the only clue. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, I mean, why the fuck would you unveil this detail like this to him? Of course you wouldn't. You'd sit him down and you'd go, here are the facts of the matter. I will explain it to you in the most sterile way possible mm-hmm. using the most vanilla language. She has perhaps become a sex worker, <laughs> entered the adult film industry in California. We have these, I'll work on these addresses. You should do this or that. But this guy is basically like, I got a fun surprise for you. Yeah. Come to this theater <laughs> with me. He's like, listen, stepdad, your stepdaughter is stuck and there's only one way to get her out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not, you're not far off base, right? You joke about it, but you know, why is that a premise of pornography? It's because it makes a sort of crazy piece of pornography. Mm -hmm. Why is this a scene in the movie hardcore? Because do you not want to watch the scene? I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so we get the scene. Mm -hmm. The reason the scene is in the movie is because it's 1979 and movies just fucking went for it. Right. And yeah, it's not the most realistic, you know, nothing from this era, the acting, the, the, all the choices today read so much less realistic than the hyper realism of the moment. But man, we just get the kind of fucking scenes where it's just like, you, you just wouldn't see this today. It's too crazy. Well, the movie's doing something really deceptive the whole time that I didn't realize at first, but by the end, I kind of got wise to it. And the movie opens, the way that the movie, the way that the narrative goes is that you, the movie makes you believe that the film is through the lens of Jake's character, that Mm -hmm. he is your protagonist. You're discovering this with him. You're trying to find his daughter with him. But whether it's intentional or whether it's because this movie was made by a bunch of fucking hippies from California, the movie is actually coming from a place where this stuff all is readily available. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If we were watching the movie from Jake's perspective, there'd be just like a general abhorrence to the fact that porn existed. That's not present in the movie. The movie exists firmly in a place where porn is around, readily available, and it knows all the CD, CD theaters. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because it, it's, I think the way that the movie ends when he finds his daughter and she's like, actually you're just fucking shitty. And I'd rather just like <laughs> hang out with snuffs McGee over here. Yeah. Um, then come home. Um, I feel like that is sort of what the movie's doing is the movie's going, the movie is it, it, again, whether it's intentional or whether it's by accident, the movie has done all of its porn research mm-hmm. without Jake present. So this dad is, is, 
the movies being like, and there's snuff porn and there's weird porn theaters and there's this and the other thing where you just jerk off with other dudes. And slowly the movie just kind of lets you in on the secret that Jake is actually the fish out of water. The movie starts through this sort of lens that he is, he is your everyday normal American. He's the guy that you can identify with and he's descending into this world of madness but the movie is already in that world with the camera pointed up at Jake. That's what's going on this whole time. Yeah, it's uh, that's another very Paul Schrader thing, by the way, the sort of uh, trying to save the person who doesn't want to be saved, which just adds this this kind of like inevitable, um, I don't know, you know, there's a Dante like hell and back kind of thing mm-hmm. going on here. And as much as he's this straight guy from out of town who's maybe, I mean, he's less hip than the audience. I do think we really see him have to go through, you know, the the so-called seedy underbelly of pornography. What makes it interesting, yeah, it's pornography and fine, that's interesting. If you're interested in the adult industry, then maybe that's something for you. But if we kind of eliminate the specifics of what the movie is, forget for a second that it's pornography. The world that they're in has its own kind of, he has to navigate this world with its own landscape, porn or whatever the world is. This is a place that has its own, you know, its own language, its own economy its own uh, kind of terrain. There's personalities there. There's power structures there, right? As an industry, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just that he's shocked to even get there, but once he gets there, there's people trying to break into it. There's people trying to climb a ladder. There are known figures who are synonymous. People, you know, secret code words at the door kind of stuff, which is true of both of these movies uh, in, in almost a literal sense in the second one. And so it's not just, you know, he kind of has to work through this web and how to infiltrate and how to navigate that, whether it is, you know, the fucking dry cleaning industry or pornography or whatever it is, is something that's unique and interesting about the movie. I think the fact it's porn is just like kind of interesting on top of that. But we watch him go through this immersion kind of uh, arc where he not only has to sort of get over it and learn to speak the language, but we see him, we see the wardrobe, you know, the fucking mm-hmm. fake mustache, the attitude, really. I mean, so much of this is George C. Scott kind of, um, I'm surprised to see him in the sort of business suit being told, like, don't look like such a square. This is going to be too difficult. And then just a couple moments later, seeing him do the auditions. And I believe that he's a totally different character. Right. He looks exactly like the guy who would write that fucking ad, Mm -hmm. which is just great. So you see him, and this is another Schrader thing. We get these very deep characters regardless of, you know, if we, um, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but we rarely get the complete picture of like who these people are. And that makes them last in my mind because they have, they, they are fleshed out characters who have a lot of other stuff going on outside of this one incident in the movie. And we just happen to see, you know, 
this part of Jake's life where he was trying to fucking navigate Chinatown or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. that is, um, ooh, and it's actually, it's Jake too, which is the, there's probably a lot of Chinatown. I didn't realize like, (laughs) as I said that, I'm like, oh, there's a reason that keeps popping into my head, right? There's probably a lot of fucking Chinatown in this movie. What year was Chinatown? Uh, That's gotta be before this. There's no way that's not. One or two years before, or maybe it's after, and and we just secretly discovered that Chinatown is, uh, or that hardcore uh, is the primary inspiration to Chinatown. 74, Chinatown, 74. Mm Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of ask you about this backdrop too, because usually when we see this kind of thing, you know, we're thinking about 42nd Street. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to me to see those same kind of places show up in a place I lived and can vouch are definitely not there. In the 70s, it seems like there were just fucking sex clubs and pornography Mm -hmm. stores everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's weird to think that those things went away as if like, you know, there is not a a long arc that always bends towards progressive social issues. We can push things back into the closet. Uh, where did all this stuff go? What happened? The I internet. Guess the, internet. the internet yeah. happened. I mean, home video happened first and then the internet shortly after. Once people could jerk off at home, they preferred to jerk off at home. All right, well, we're going to see if we can't find it in the Finnish language film, Dogs Don't Wear Pants. I was going to cite where in the world Dogs Don't Wear Pants came from, but I was like, ooh, it's in Finland, I guess. Do you want to try a logline for whatever the hell happens in this movie? This The logline is, this is a weird movie, obviously. That's kind of like the whole thing. Um, so uh, uh, after after an accident kills his wife, a single father begins a sexual reawakening by meeting an extreme dominatrix and forms, it gives his life meaning and they form a symbiotic relationship. What's the kind where it's like, yeah, that's a good question, right? Right. (laughs) What's the kind where uh, you clock out, but someone follows you home? What's that kind of uh, relationship called? Yeah, well, right away, you hit on one of the things that, uh, you know, to really poke around in the weeds of this movie. It's weird thinking about, like, we know a lot about what he gets out of this and almost nothing about what she does. Right. Mona's character. Right. Or if she's even really into it. I mean, we know when she's she's going, hey, fuck off. Mm-hmm. But uh, towards the end of the movie, you know, we get this ending. There's spoilers in this show. But we get the ending we do, the sort of happy ending. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, say, 10 minutes after the ending, are they sharing a drink or is she like, well, I guess I can't fucking go back to that club? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that the the extremity of her of her dom character makes it impossible to read what she's actually enjoying. But I think that if if she were any less of an extreme dom, homie would not be as interested. You know, like he he wants to get his teeth pulled out. Like that's like a thing he's into. <laughs> and I don't think that she can like give him like goo-goo eyes as she's pulling his teeth out. Like, oh my God, this is like such a cute moment. I will say that there is something extremely weirdly um 
I don't know what the word is. I guess intimate about that scene. Yeah. The way she's kind of like staring into his mouth trying to do operation. Such well, there's, a weird There's there's this the the most intimacy. The most important aspect of that scene is it's sort of played like a joke, but I think it's like vitally important to that scene where she's pulling on the tooth and he's like, Oh my God, this hurts. I'm so hard right now. And then, uh, (laughs) and then she like stops for a second and she's like, all right, anyway, I'm going to keep doing it. And then he like basically starts screaming his safe word. And we're like, Oh, we finally found the, we found the, the path he will not cross. And then he's like, you got the wrong tooth. And she's like, oh, thank you. And switches to the other tooth. (laughs) The reason that that's so important, in my opinion, is that it fully dispels any apprehension he has. You know, if you're sitting there going like, has he been coerced? Is he like of sound body and mind to be doing this? Mm -hmm. The point where she starts pulling the wrong tooth and he goes, wrong tooth, ma'am. We're doing this tooth. (laughs) It's like, oh, he is like fully present, like fully, this is like a fully consensual moment. And, and I think right. that's it's where two that people in role play where somebody right. kind of whispers like, no, 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 go over here a little bit. Right. And I think that that's, that's why that intimacy is so permeated through that scene because the, it dispels any airs of anybody maybe not being a hundred percent committed. I like your read on that scene a lot more because my read on it was a lot, you know, it's a lot more like the movie's doing movie stuff, which is uh, he doesn't want his tooth pulled out, but he so badly needs this strangulation that he's kind of like, fine, fuck it, if that's what it takes. So I do feel in that scene that he, it's not that he loves the tooth bit, that's her thing. That's her attempt to mm-hmm. to like scare him out of this or whatever the fuck she's getting out of it, actually, because I, I find that to be a huge mystery. But that he so badly wants to get to the dessert that he'll just fucking eat whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, I guess eating's a weird metaphor given But the, don't you feel like in that case, he would be like, pull whatever tooth, I don't fucking care? Maybe. I mean, I again, I, I guess I just read it as his, as his sort of like, doubling down the commitment like okay i'm gonna have a tooth pulled this is the one you were doing let's fucking do this right then because that's how how badly i want it i don't love my read of yeah of i just i scene. feel like, I like yours better i feel like his character is is way too far of a layman to even be comfortable giving any direction to a dominatrix unless it it felt like consensual intimacy like, I just don't feel like, I, I don't feel like he at any point wants to be, I feel like he, he, he like doesn't even want to be giving instruction because he doesn't, he doesn't want her to relinquish even an iota of control. Yeah. Also just, uh, man, well, like what a great moment for the kind of, um, the often talked about, but rarely seen body horror, mm-hmm. the kind of just disgusting pangs and so different than than a lot of the stuff we usually see but he fucking goes through the thumb the uh the cuts on the hand the neck brace Mm -hmm. you know he's maced at one point Mm -hmm. uh her hands burned i mean Mm -hmm. the number of kind of uh body effects i think back to on this film it actually it plays once again similar thinking to the era of hardcore 
back to that kind of, and to fucking Chinatown again, back to that idea of just pummel the fuck out mm-hmm. of your protagonists. Well, to, by the end of the movie, they should be bloody and broken. I think that, I think that what's so cool about dogs don't wear pants versus like another. So, so there's this, if you haven't watched the movie, fucking watch it. But if you've seen the movie, you understand that like this is, this is, you know, essentially gore porn levels of of like dom work right we're not this Mm. isn't this isn't whips and furry handcuffs this is like like multiple times she thinks she has killed this man (laughs) it's just like what there's like she's like pulling his tooth out and he's like kind of dying she pulled there's like literally a scene she pulls this guy's tooth out sexually for some reason and then, and then when that's over, you'd think, okay, well, dominatrix, give him a break. She's like, no, I'm going to wrap his face in plastic until he can't breathe. Yeah. Uh, it, it is the intensity with which this, this movie goes for is to the levels of, of, uh, what was called gore porn in like the early two thousands. But I think what's, what's interesting about it and what's, what's actually scarier about it is when you watch a movie like hostile Two, equally erotic equally violent more violent but equally erotic um the thing about hostile 2 is that in order for the movie to sort of have a plot and to like have a an arc you know that these characters are going to avoid these scenarios they're going to try to escape they're going to like hopefully not get skinned and eaten you know just various things like that right now imagine Imagine the plot of Hostel where the person in the chair goes, I, uh, I checked in voluntarily. Yeah, yeah. And it's like... That's Hostel 4. And that's, it's just... That's what I'm waiting for. It's, it's, it's so much... It, what it does is it takes, it takes the physical terror from that character and just hands it to the audience. Because this guy in this movie goes, hey, listen, I'm actually okay with this, but you do still have to watch it. Yeah. And so, so the extremes to which it can go, uh, you basically like, there's sort of like a soft admission that he might not get murdered, but short of that, the extremes to which it can go, he will not avoid, you know, it's you as an audience member can't count on your protagonist to try not to get his teeth pulled out. He's just going to do it. Well, and it, you still have to watch. It's funny when you really think about a lot of the kind of scars and harm that comes to him. I mean, it's pretty much all on his own doing. You know, it's like getting maced has nothing to do with her. Cutting his hand is because he punched open a door. The thumbnail comes off at his desk. I mean, granted, it's, you know, he got stepped on or whatever, seemingly accidentally in the opening, but as. Uh, as a doctor, he should fucking know how to clean that and treat it, and he's not doing it. And that's part of his unraveling is this sort of flirtation with with harm and ultimately with death. I don't know. I mean, again, I liked your read on that scene a lot more. I'm, I'm curious what you think the other themes of this movie are. Like, what what is it chewing on? I mean, I think that, I think it's, it's, it's based on this idea that, you know, he was married. He had this baby. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't married. Who fucking cares? He was in this relationship with this woman and had a, had a, had a child. And, you know, it's sort of this idea that you get in a lot of romance, uh, stories 
in the human experience, which is like, if, if, if my love were to die, so do I, even if I live for 40 more years, I died the day my wife died. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. that sort of like intense bond soulmate sort of, and I think that that's sort of what we're getting at, right? Is is not to always talk about Clive Barker, but you have this whole idea where this guy has essentially died. Uh, the the part of him that feels something, right, has died until somebody creates a situation where he can't help but feel something, you know. Yeah. And I think that's what it is, right? Is that is that there's never going to be a scenario in which this character meets a new girl and, oh my God, she reignited. My heart started beating again. That's not going to happen. Dude's got a kid. He's too busy. He's got a job. His wife like died in a fishing net or something. It wasn't like very nice. And right. uh, so in order, in order for the, in order for the crash cart to be effective on this guy's essentially dead body you know his dead feeling um you need to it's like one of those situations where like you literally need to like reach into his heart and start it with your hand that's one of the things that i think's cool about just uh handling bdsm as a topic is that the bdsm in this movie is not it's not a consequence of him feeling numb or him feeling pain or him uh, being sort of like locked in the state of grief, but it's a relief. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that puts him back in touch with his wife and he he kind of just keeps, it's like moth to a flame. He keeps coming back to that even at his own physical detriment. It doesn't spare him from you know, destroying himself, putting his job in jeopardy. I mean, I think uh, it's honest in that way too. The kink aspect of it is, BDSM specifically, is kind of a weird art of finding the overlap for two people who have like very specific things, usually. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in movies, it's so often portrayed as like, oh, you're into BDSM? Great, I'm into BDSM too. But we see that these two characters, I mean, they want want different things. And they're trying to focus on the sort of like overlap in their Venn diagram. But so rarely do people who are really into BDSM meet completely on the level. Right, like there's always uh, this sort of element of uh, there can be. I'm not going to fucking tell anybody anything about their relationship. You know, that's not my place. But it can take a toll on a person, which I feel like is the this the like not glamorous part that movies don't talk about. You know, where one person, our main character in this movie, is psychologically a little fucked up. He wants this one specific thing. In fact, he grows to need it, need it at all costs. And it becomes so lopsided with his would-be partner and takes a toll, right? That he he no longer respects boundaries. He no longer respects the work relationship. He is stalking her. And so we see how the one-sidedness of it plays out. Something that could be 
completely lost in a movie like this to just kind of exploring the like taboo nature of it all and not not more of the realistic issues. But we see how this obsession harms his body. We see how it harms his relationship with his daughter, mm-hmm. who he basically neglects through, I mean, I might go as far as to say loses through the movie. You know, they have this nice setup in the beginning that's kind of like, ah, good idea, letting your daughter get her tongue pierced. You know, it keeps the rebellion at bay when you mm-hmm. sort of give into little things like that. And it's as if they tell us that only to show how he betrays it how he just completely walks away from that. And she winds up, you know, like in the most textbook, like getting on some dude's motorcycle to be like, fuck you, dad, I'm not going to the museum. So, you know, we see how all these other things in his life kind of fall apart and it becomes this, uh, this evolution to the place where he winds up at the end. Significantly changed and not dead. So I guess better than where he could be, Mm -hmm. but not without... Uh, consequence, right? It's not like, oh, and everything worked out. You know, he has this great relationship with this woman and his daughter loves him. It's like, no, he just barely kept his job. His daughter told him to go fuck himself in so many words. And uh, it's awkward when he runs into this chick at the club. (laughs) I am so happy though that this movie got the kind of like, that people saw it, Mm -hmm. that I've heard about this. It became a movie that people would tell me to see over and over until I was like, fine, I'll fucking watch this weird movie about dogs and their pants or whatever the fuck this is. But uh, it just kind of shows, I mean, back to the, the point of the beginning of the episode, that when people are brave enough to make these movies, they do well. Mm -hmm. You know, people are curious. We could get this, this fall into this like puritanical mindset that oh you just can't make a movie like this you can't talk about sex in a film audiences are too scared but you make a a weird fucking movie and people they're gonna click the square Mm -hmm. they want to (laughs) know i love that look we have a website it's patreon.com forward slash double feature you can get all the back catalog of weird fucked up movies we've done I'm going to hit you with some executive producers here. Hit me. Henrik Dinner, David of Unreason, Tom Leonard, Tony Gleed, and John. Thanks for letting us explore the smut. We have uh, another set of movies next time on the show. We do. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple movies that, I mean, they might have a plot. I don't really give a fuck. It's just not what we're talking about. Um, it's <laughs> Ooh, not what they're exciting. talking about. Um, so we're going to return... Return to Wes Anderson, have another, I'm sure we'll have another conversation about how, just temperature check on how we're feeling about Wes Anderson these days. So we're going to do the Grand Budapest Hotel. We're going to pair that with Tarsum Sings the Fall. We haven't seen Tarsum on the show since The Cell. I don't know if we ever really did The Cell. I think you and I just talk about it so much. We talk about it all the time. We haven't <laughs> yeah, seen... Yeah, it's very I, possible. I mean, I don't know if anybody's seen Tarsum. He's done some stuff, but The Fall and The Cell are the Tarsumest Tarsums that ever Tarsumed. So next time on Double Feature, uh, calibrate your televisions to the highest definition possible and please watch The Grand Budapest Hotel and The Fall and then watch more fucking film. All right, bye.